Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. Hank Vogler checking in probably out and about, excuse me, in Las Vegas trying to find something for his loved one on Valentine's Day tomorrow. Is that what you're doing, Hank? Well, maybe I'm trying to find one, somebody that still loves me, for goodness sakes. <laughs> Las Vegas is not a place you do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cash only. Huh? <laughs> yeah, oh. cash only is accurate. Well, I bought her a great big balloon from China and the boogers shut it down. <laughs> what a deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only fitting that you would buy your wife from China a balloon from China. I well, yeah. I can't believe yeah. somebody interfered with that. No. And then they, they're they making a big deal about Chinese people crossing the southern border. Get a life. If they could get out of China, half of that population would get out of China. You know, <laughs> they're under lock and key over there. I mean, uh you know when you're when you're failing at everything that you're doing, you you need to whip up some nationalism. Yeah, and that's what he's doing. Those people are disgusted with what's going on there. And if you're not in the inner party, you're you're nothing. It's well, we got a two tiers of justice here, so I guess it's the same thing. I was just about to say that I'm apparently nothing because I'm not on the upper tier here either. Yeah. Uh, you Come know, to think of it, I don't, I don't believe player. you are either. I believe we're in no, the same I, boat. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. You don't want to be in the same boat, Tom, in? <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind, but, I, you know, I was always holding out to be Howard Hughes' only kid, you know. And now, you know, maybe if you're a Biden, you know, you might get some pretty good perks. But uh, that if you're just out here in the trenches, you know, you're just a peon. You're gonna have we're the to peasant use, population. You're going to have to use a different analogy because, like, most of our audience now doesn't even know Howard Hughes anymore. Oh, uh, Bill they, Gates? They might know Bill Hugh, Hugh Hefter, uh, but they don't yeah. know Howard Hughes. Howard's too old. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyhow. I mean, there's only, I mean, ask him what the, blue, the spruce goose was, and they'd tell you some tree in the Amazon. Ah. Uh, well, no, it was actually, I think they cut the spruce somewhere in the Northwest. And it wasn't spruce anyhow. I, I don't think it was probably Douglas fir, but plywood. That's what it was made out of. But it had four engines on, on each wing or six. It was huge. I actually toured the spruce goose, but it was 1984. So I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I, I I do have a, a resource right next to me, though, that might be able to help me. Ah. Yeah. Wouldn't be your memory. No, it's not my memory. <laughs> I'm using a duck to tell us about the spruce goose. In this case, ah, I a, see. A, a duck, duck, go. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not sure how quickly I'll get this up here, Hank. So, spruce goose. There it is is first conceived during World War II. Um, 
I'm just not going to be able to tell you quick enough. They flew one time, right? Yeah. Flew it out over. I don't know. They even got it that high in the air. Just kind of flew out over the water. Pulled her in. That was it. Oh, how interesting that we talk about the spruce goose because the wingspan span was wider than a football field. Wow. Can you imagine that? Wow. That's a lot of trees up in the air. Oh, boy. And and you couldn't, you know, what would you do? I mean, you couldn't just land it anywhere. You, you'd have to land it on the water, I'd guess. Yeah. I mean, how many how many uh, airports in that day and time had a, a place you could land something with that was that wide? Three hundred twenty feet wide, eight giant wow. propellers. Huh. Oh my goodness! Foot. What do you think it cost to make in nineteen forty one, or oh, it completed in forty six? Dollar two ninety eight, probably <laughs> twenty three million. Whoa, boy, that'd be in the billions now, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, man. 70 feet above the water. Flew for a mile. Hmm. Uh, it's well, just, I mean, the whole reason I was went here to see what wood it's made out of, and I'm, I'm not getting there. Well, regardless, we had a little bit of a history lesson today. What else well, is going on in the world of Hank Vogler? I just keep thinking about, you know, China, the United States. We had a like a five hundred billion. They, we bought five hundred billion dollars more of their stuff than we sold them. Most of the things we sold them, I think, were probably agricultural products, corn and wheat. We set a record in beef for 2022. And beef, yeah. So, unless you listen to the industrial complex uh, and the politicians, what would be the point of a war with China? I mean, they're rattling the sabers pretty loud. and, And with a weak, weak president, you can understand why they would. But Somebody in China would lose his job if all of a sudden the United States of America didn't buy five, six hundred billion dollars worth of stuff from them. So their country would be affected quite substantially also. And they're they're also having trouble now because the cheap labor market is in India. It is in Southeast Asia and those places. And they're having all their immigration problems from other islands and from other Southeast Asian nations where wages are a lot higher. People are sneaking into those countries to get higher jobs. And and uh, we are playing whatever political chicken with ourselves. We have a southern border. We have thousands of jobs that nobody wants to take in agriculture. I mean, the the insanity is is absolutely insane of why we're doing what we're doing, but we're trying to keep our people working, I guess, building bombs and stuff. I don't know. It's crazy. The insanity is insane. That might be the most profound Hankism ever. (laughs) 
It is. <laughs> we sent all of our, what we considered jobs that, uh, we didn't need or, or, or to build up their country. They did it cheaper, brought the stuff back. They said stuff on that balloon was in English. There was parts of that balloon that was made in America. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not convinced America didn't release it. To well, dis- to distract from the news that was really coming out, I do have some statistics, though. Almost like I prepared for this conversation, which I had no idea we would have this conversation. In China, currently, 15 percent of their groundwater is unusable for anything. 20 percent of the arable land is not farmable, won't grow anything because of heavy metals and toxicity. Meat consumption in China as a whole has tripled in the last, excuse me, 40 years, tripled in 40 years. And the number one item that's a problem in China is that in the last 20 years, the urbanization, people migrating to the cities has doubled. Consequently, they need our food and resource. Actually, they need Australia's, they need uh, Russia's, they need ours. Brazil. Brazil. I don't, I, you never hear about any oil wells in China either. So th- that's why they use coal. So they must not have much oil. So, uh, the ones I think we should really worry about is the, uh, Yabba-dabba-doo, uh, goofies like North Korea. You know, they're propped up by the Chinese as, you know, kind of something that, uh, a teaser, <laughs> a teaser bull. That's what they are. <laughs> we'll take a break we'll talk about other teaser bulls and uh how you can identify where the real heat is at that's what we're talking about we'll be back with more raw route hank loser after this if he finishes his strawberries yeah i just want to click speaking of gomer bulls you might want to ai your cows to piedmontese sires and tap into that premium beef market called Certified Piedmontese. The Gomer Bull comes in really handy, I'm just telling you. Or forget the Gomer Bulls and just kick out bulls from Lone Creek. It's all about getting a calf sired by the Piedmontese sires. Verify that it does have one copy of the myostatin gene. And by the way, if you if your Lone Creek bull breeds your cow... You're going to have one copy. We're just making sure the neighbors don't breed your cows. That's the, the neighbor's bulls, that is. CertifiedPiedmontese.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Hank Vogler. The first person that ever really even told me that there was a 1934 Taylor, Taylor Grazing Act. And I can only imagine... You, you want to talk about division within agriculture? Can you imagine those nomadic sheep herders that are trying to to graze their sheep where people own land and run cattle? That had to be a fairly tumultuous time. There's a really a, a, a good book that kind of lays it out from the different perspectives. And it was a like a doctoral thesis, some guy at the University of Oregon, uh, it was called We Were Not Tramp Sheep Herders. And it, it kind of goes through the metamorphosis. And 
the Cowboys kind of had the upper hand there uh, in the West back in the <clears throat> turn of the century. And they had some really bad, bad winners. Uh, Harold and Sparks in Northeast Nevada went into winter and this was their statistics. So I, who knows? They had 65,000 head of cattle and 100,000 head of sheep. And the next spring, uh, I think part of their sheep survived because they got them far enough south, but they had 160 cows left. So it kind of opened up the country in the West to these sheep guys. And they had, they knew the meets and bounds. I've seen the map of Nevada and they had the meets and bounds of their territory that they run their sheep in, in the winter and the summer and the spring and the fall. Problem was, is mama might have lived in Boise, Idaho or Winnemucca, Nevada uh, or, or uh, Burns, Oregon and ran a boarding house where the, the sheep guys might have been in Nevada in the wintertime, uh, lambed in Oregon and went into Idaho for a summer. So they called them tramps and that they were all, you know, this was the bad press. So they wandered around. Uh, th their base property was the, the mama had a boarding house, Basco boarding house in one of those towns. And they just, and they made a big circle. And that, but they had their meats and bounds. Well, the Taylor Grazing Act, according to a lot of the sheep guys, was to eliminate sheep, and they did a fine job. But when they eliminated the sheep, nobody paid any attention to the forage base. You might have a, a winter range that had some white sage down in the bottoms of the valleys that you might only have been able to get to every two or three years, because. There was no snow. You couldn't, you, you know, a wagon couldn't haul enough water to slake the thirst of a winter band of sheep. So they had to live on the snow. So they were on the benches and in bad times up on the side of the hills. <clears throat> so they took these allotments, re-adjudicated them, and with synthetics and other reasons, people went out of the sheep business, labor, all of those, all the above the Bureau converted those deserts from sheep to cows. Well, the cows concentrated on the white sage and didn't touch the black sage until near starvation. So you changed the whole feed base of those fields and they had to cut them. And I mean, and it, it just caused more turmoil than, it was emotion rather than science. And and we seem to love to do emotion rather than science on lots of things, whether it's COVID-19 or, or anything else. Uh, if man does it, it's got to be evil. So we got to get back to nature. Well, nature's not exactly a bunch of swell fellows. You know, nature is a predator's prey. Just all of these things. We just made some silliness. And rather than correct them, because there are people that are involved and their paychecks are involved in doing things wrong. So we don't do things right. And then you throw in some more emotion. We throw in the feral horse. Uh, we throw in recreation. You know, John Muir was a sheep herder uh, in Yosemite. Well, if he'd have paid more attention to what those sheep ate, 
than looking around at the big old rocks and waterfalls. He uh, could have had a completely different outcome. But instead, uh, he dealt with people's emotions. And this is bad. This is evil. So it just I guess it's just human nature to do those things. You and I, for the last 18 years, have flirted with this discussion, but I think we're living it right now. And and that discussion is how this division between the nomadic sheep herder and the cattleman, and at one point in time there were 70 million sheep in the United States. Today you can't find 7 million. Uh, We did that to ourselves and to your point, and I just want to emphasize it because I think it's huge, when grazed properly, the sheep and the cattle complement one another, and they're not really competition, and yet we allow that that competition aspect to be a divider. Consequently, agriculture is weaker. Yeah, and guess what? When all this started evolving 100 years ago, there was a few less mouths to feed out there. Mm-hmm. Now. The people that seem to be banging the drum the loudest are the people that are not going to be affected immediately by the lack of food, by the lack of resources. They're the, uh, you know, I always tease about their, at the club, you know, playing canasta and croquet. Uh, it's the poor that will starve to death first. And it won't be, you know, I mean, one little crack in the earth has killed 33,000 people in in uh, Turkey and Syria. Uh, that will be a, a, a yawner compared to what will die of starvation if we continue to do what we're doing. And that isn't overpopulating. It is underfeeding. And we're underfeeding on purpose. We're trying to talk in, well, in ne- the Netherlands, uh, they try it in India, all these places of not farming except this, what do they call it, sustainability or whatever. Regenerative agriculture. You got to stay up. I mean, once we all get to regenerative agriculture, they'll come up with some new term that means nothing. I'm all about regenerative. I'm all about sustainable. But that we don't need somebody sitting in a cubicle to design, uh, define these things. We do it on the land. We have to. The <laughs> The land is is a production table, and that production is based on how well we take care of it. I mean, if we do not take care of our uh, factory, it collapses on us, and and it's happened before. Uh, we made some mistakes of plowing up the prairie, mm. and we had the dirty thirties all the time. Uh, the Sahara Desert—they're always digging up some town out there. It was a it was an open savanna. It was a grassland that one time. And now, obviously, it's not. Um, so there's been climate changes that go back quite a ways. Long before Spotted Al Gore got started. Actually, I had a friend, a mutual friend who you know as well, but I won't name, who went to the Serengeti in Africa. And this friend said, I recognize that Every place we were going to look at the Serengeti in this wide open, vast desert of wildlife, there was the remnants of a farmstead, whether that be a concrete foundation, probably not building standing left because that would destroy the whole narrative. 
But the truth of the matter is that government policies tucked the land away from those people who were tending to the land and turned it into the African Serengeti so that people from around the world would come and see the last frontier of the wild. Well, it wasn't the last frontier of the wild. Government made it that way. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, the, the megalomania of individuals is what causes the real problem. I mean, everybody cannot be president of the United States and not everybody wants to. But when we put the power in very few hands, that was what was the great experiment of the United States of America is people could come here and own land and the law would protect them. And that's still, you know, you know of anybody that's trying to break into China, (laughs) Cuba, uh, you know, I mean, people are coming from 150-some countries and going to the border to shortcut coming to the United States of America. And now that all the sanctuary cities that were using that as a political ploy to get voted for now are squealing foul because those folks are there. So, so I mean, uh, it's just I, I, it think, you, just I think you used a, a analogy that doesn't work there because pigs squeal, not foul, not birds. We'll be back. Hank Gogler, second half <laughs> of the roll route, just ahead after this. Oh, a lot of things happening. John Boland just checked in. He is talking to some folks at the East Palestine, Ohio situation. If you've not heard, a train explosion occurred a couple of days ago, and. Um, Stay tuned. We'll have more about that. Interesting, though, isn't it? Hollywood made a movie in 2022, released it in 2022, about a train explosion causing toxic chemicals to be released. The same one that's actually being released. Stop in and ask Robert Farnham at Brush High Plains Cattle Supply what he knows about that. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose alongside Hank Bugler checking in. North Spring Valley, Nevada is what he calls home, the newest member of the White Pine County Commission. I want to go back to this topic, Hank, because for whatever reason, it's heavy on my mind today. I wrote my column about it yesterday. I talked about it, excuse me, on Across the Pond earlier this morning. I didn't plan on you and I talking about it, but here we are. And and here is what, what I'm talking about. 23 years ago, I started doing what I'm doing because... There were people at the local level struggling to expand their livestock operations. And there was some influence from the animal rights communities. But the real problem was at the local level, people were getting misinformation about how livestock facilities can work in conjunction with the healthy healthy community. And so the challenge was really locally to continue to allow a farm to grow and build what they needed to to sustain themselves. And... Over the 20 years, you morph into Bill Gates with his crickets are a problem. Bill Gates with the alternative protein substances are a problem. But you know what? At the end of the day, there are still dairymen in Wisconsin struggling to get factual information to the local public to continue to operate to do business. There are livestock producers all across this country that have the same challenge. Cooper County, Missouri, the best example that I know of where the public health department in August of 2019 said, we're going to shut down all CAFOs because there's a danger to the water quality and the air quality of these livestock facilities. 
And you, no different than you, even though your challenge is not from the county and the county commissioners are planning and zoning, your local challenge is to utilize the resources that are rightfully your property rights to continue to take care of the creation, God's creation, to produce the essentials of life. So we all want to focus now on the World Economic Forum and and all these whack jobs from the global sphere, which you talked about earlier, which I agree with those that can afford to have uh, a challenge in nutrition longer than the poor and the peasants. But at the end of the day, the number one threat to domestic security still is food production at the local, food and fuel production at the local level. And you're like the poster child for that. You've been fighting it longer than anybody I know. It's amazing. And and it's kind of always been a sore spot with me since I can remember breathing. Everybody knows how to do what I do better than I do. And they'll tell you. You know, if I were you, <laughs> I'd do this. <laughs> and you go, well, there's not a lot of people getting into this deal. You know, there's lifestyle changes. People want to buy them a ranch and go ranching. But uh, you know, or, or, or things like that, you know, but very few people actually seem to be able to keep all the oars in the water at the same time to do this. And it's getting a smaller and smaller group all the time from 98% of the people that signed the constitution down to half a percent raising most of the food. Uh, I'm probably never desired to become a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer, but I have to have a few of those skills in all aspects to do what I do. But by gosh, I can't find anybody that doesn't say they could just step right into my shoes and go on. Well, uh, my shoes are nine and a half D come and get them. So, (laughs) but where are they? You know, who, who wants to go out there and, slop the hogs and feed the chickens when it's 25 below zero and, and it's midnight and, and you can't find the milk cow and she's calved out in the willow patch, got milk fever or whatever. I mean, all of those things, there's no, there's no nine to five in it. Uh, if you want to do anything, you know, I, yes, I, I admit I'm in Las Vegas at my wife's house and, and very happy to be here, but California looms rather large. We got 7,000 head of sheep down there to shear and market, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, and had a tough winter down there. Thank God we didn't shear them in December when we usually do. Uh, it was so wet down there, we didn't do it, and, and now it's drying out, feeds good, and and the wool looks like it's going to have a, a pretty decent value to it. So, you know, things do kind of, towards morning, the farmer gets lucky, I guess. But, yeah, why does anybody want to farm 10,000 acres in Nebraska? Well. It's become so competitive. The price of a combine or a plow is so huge. Uh, in order to keep up, the old 160-acre homestead will not carry you anymore. And it's the same in lots of industries. So they've gotten larger and larger. And the kids had to get up before they got on the school bus and go out and, and help your buckaroo or whatever. And, and so... They're quite happy to have a nine-to-five job in town and weekends off. So, yeah, the, the, the straw that will break the camel's back is when 
they can't find anybody that has the double recessive mutant gene to do this. It's getting close. Yeah, a good flu epidemic. You know, it's a wonder that COVID didn't wipe us all out. Mm. You know, they say if you're of a certain age, you have a, had a greater risk. Well, look at what the age of the average farmer is. With every one of them was in that category. I mean. <laughs> Yes, sir, Bob. Well, you had a distinct advantage because uh, it's documented those of us that breathe animal manure are five times less likely to contract any disease, including cancer. And I'm going to say COVID because that animal manure builds your immune system. We, we, we push people into this bubble thinking that sterile living is the way to go. And I actually think now that that was an intended plan to create an immune challenge and a nativity to our immune system. Well, and, and add to that, for uh, the people that are always talking about the apocalypse, that people will come charging out of the cities into the countryside and, and maybe something across the street from the federal building in, in uh, Los Angeles, they might strip the food off the trees. But watch what's going on. They're gonna, they'll burn the stores down, the liquor stores, the 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 car dealerships. They'll do everything in the world to destroy the city, which in some respects are already doing that. And then they'll all go stand in front of the federal building, demanding that somebody take care of them. <laughs> they're not coming out to North Spring Valley or Loop City, Nebraska. They're they're gonna stay right there. Yeah, because they they're train there's trained seals that the government will protect it well no no the government only protects itself it's just that incidental coincidental if it helps anybody so yeah you got it it's it's like that remuda of horses if you hay them in a certain area for a while they're going to show up there every single day when you stop paying them they're going to stand there and look out and say hey where's my trough where's my little morsel today but if you have the gate open where they can go out and forage for themselves at some point in time, they will go do that. We don't have anybody in the city that thinks the gate's open. <laughs> well, and they don't want it to be open. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, they're complacent. You know, even in China, if everybody, my wife was from a village, according to their statistics, there's only 12 million people live there. Uh and I don't think if they all walked out in the street at the same time that they could find a place to stand. Uh, and the people are moving to the cities off the farms because of, in their mind, wages are better in the city. And it's a capitalist wage. Uh, you have to work hard to move up through the system. And, yeah, there's lots of nepotism, too. So, I mean, it, uh, human nature, no matter where it is in the world, is there. Uh, even in the even in Cuba, there are people in the hierarchy of Cuba that are friends of Raul. You know, uh, they they they're living well. They don't feel the pain of the peasants. You know, what was Castro's deal was Cuba para Cubanos, Cuba for the Cubans. They were mad at the the different companies that were in there with the cigars and the bananas and other agricultural products that uh, were uh, from other countries, uh, a lot of them from America. So uh, that was the rallying point. But 
you know, the the peasantry is too busy trying to feed themselves. Most of these lunatic ideas come from upper middle class. Look at those kids that they caught in that Antifa deal. They're, or, or Black Lives Matter. Those weren't starving individuals out in the street. Those were upper middle class challenging the authority. And and, and uh, they got us a theme together that resonated with people. So that's, you know, you got to have a, a, a good theme song. That's the whole deal right there. That Do reminds the me of all the time I spent at animal rights conventions and getting to meet the people that are engaged. They all come from affluent, upper middle class families, kids who really didn't have to do anything while their father classmates were working at XYZ restaurant, cafe, gas station, whatever the case may be. And then they decide at some point in time, I need a cause. I need something that I'm helping and and it'll be the climate, whether it be animal rights or whether it be Black Lives Matter. They all are seeking a cause. It's just that they're misguided in what they're trying to accomplish. <laughs> and, and and the people that will be affected first and most are the people that were busy working because they had to. They yeah. had to have a means of support. So, yeah, you got it, mister. Well, sounds like it'd be a nice day to be in uh, San Diego helping run 7,000 sheep through a shearing machine. Uh, <laughs> I, I shouldn't call it a shearing machine, a, a shearing system with people shearing the sheep. Well, and there are shears from America, but most of the crews in California are Mexican. And, you know, it, uh, you want to get your sheep sheared so you can't go over and say, hey, I'd like to see your papers. <laughs> and and the ones that they bring in legally are from Paraguay, used to be from New Zealand. Uh, and things got so competitive in New Zealand because there were fewer and fewer sheep to shear. Fewer, and the money exchange, they got to where they don't even want to come over. Uh, Australia quit coming over a long time ago. There's a few shears I've met from South Africa. Uh, but again, it's just, there's a metamorphosis going on all the time. Uh, I got a metamorphosis are... it's called a clock. We'll pick it up with more after this. What's it take to keep the lights on? It continues to rely on people who make sound policy decisions and utilize the resource that we have available. Lignite Energy is one of those resources, and it only makes sense. And because of the people behind the scenes, we continue to have the lights on. We see what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio, thanks to Lignite.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose, into the final segment with Hank Vogler, White Pine County, Nevada. Talking about some sort of a metamorphosis. Are your chickens laying eggs okay, or did they dry up like everybody else's? <laughs> My daughter's duck froze to the ground. <laughs> it, it roosted on it roosted on a chunk of ice, and, and she had to go out and kind of pour hot water under it and everything, get it up off the ground. I mean, so it's been a little chilly out here. So I, I there yeah. the eggs are. 
or uh, pre-frozen when they hit the ground, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, I'm getting um, daily notes because I've asked for them, but there's this epidemic going across the country where people are reporting their chickens are not laying like they should. And so your initial response is, well, it's January, which most of those I got in January, not in February. And uh, that's a normal progression when the daylight hours are short. And we're like, no, this has, they haven't laid since October. And now I got this new wave of people saying, well, they weren't laying when I was feeding them XYZ chicken feed. Now I'm feeding them goat feed and they're laying like crazy. So the conspiracy is, and I don't know that it's a theory, it sounds like a conspiracy, that people feeding XYZ chicken feed, it's not allowing their eggs to, or their chickens to lay eggs. Well, Grandma used to have in the chicken house uh, a timer, and the lights came on. So the chickens would lay in the short short days. Right. And that goes back to the 1950s or, or earlier. Yeah. So it it's a uh, these people tell me they there. have lights in their brood house too. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh it's you know until this mess came along with the Asian flu and all of this crap or whatever it was uh high pathogen or whatever all this stuff we took it for granted. Yeah. You know, is it? It was the the egg. The, which came first, the chicken or the egg? It might be the egg is the canary in the coal mine. Welcome to the party, boys and girls. You don't have to upset the apple cart very far, and things change dramatically. It could happen. You know, we we talk about it all the time. This could happen. That could happen. Well, okay. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? We we're in the what chicken eggs are up sixty some percent in cost. Uh, I, I think milk it's is more up, than that. butter is up. Yeah, it could get worse. Uh, I saw the cheapest eggs I've seen in the grocery store, Grand Island, Nebraska, last week. I looked at they had a, a pretty large quantity for three seventy nine a dozen. That's the cheapest eggs I've seen for several months, and so well, that trip. that would be double. And Trent, how many stores have you gone into, went over to the produce, and there were no eggs? Yeah, that happens. Of any flavor, at any price. So, yeah, this could. This is just the. This is the canary in the coal mine. The wake up call. This can happen. It is extremely fragile. They say the West Coast. If there was a major earthquake, like there was in Turkey, or anything like that. Highways disrupted, pipelines disrupted, all of these things. There's only about four or five days of food in California mm -hmm. because of the, the cost of inventory. They're all up here in, in the, uh, these uh, red states in warehouses. So, yeah, it's fragile. It's a and, lot more fragile. People are used to it. And California is literally the breadbasket of the world. It, I mean, it's no different than your scenario of the horses showing up for a, a treat on the feed ground. Yeah. The people have gone to those stores for my entire lifetime. Things used to be seasonal. People knew that you couldn't get fruit and different things uh, in, in the fall. So everybody loaded up and went to the orchards and 
handpicked stuff and and, and uh, uh, canned fr- fruit mostly and put it away. And then tomatoes and lettuce and things like that came out of California. But they had refrigeration. What about before they had refrigeration? Carlin, Nevada used to have a huge processor there where they cut ice to put on the rail cars to haul to haul produce from California. But it's cold enough there. They had ponds and they froze the froze the ponds and and made big blocks of ice for ice houses. So I, I mean, we have come a long ways and we have gotten so used to walking into the Piggly Wiggly, and it's right there in front of us, and it's no longer seasonal. We bring things from South America. Uh, avocados used to always come from California. Uh, now they all come from Mexico, just about. I mean, just all of these things. The water that used to, the beautiful farmland and the Central Valley project that they made in California, that water's now going to the cities. There's huge tracts of farmable, beautiful practically year-round frost-free ability to raise things between labor, cost of land, et cetera, et cetera. It's barren. It's it's weeds. That, so. that labor issue affected those produce growers in California all along the West Coast long before it started affecting the rest of the agricultural systems. You bet. You bet. And now I get a letter. They want to triple what it costs to bring up an H-2A herder. You want to get they? into a business. The Department of Labor? Yep. They want to double the fees. They want to double everything, and and which will only make it more difficult for people to be able to float their boat. They've got to have the – there's industries, whether it be produce or, or sheep herding or agriculture of some level, you've got to have people that are willing to work and uh, there are people, no matter what the price is, they're not going to do it. So if you want to get into a new business, buy you a school bus and head for El Paso. Hank, I mean, I realize we talk about this all the time, but at the end of the day, we're bringing, we're encouraging, we're enticing, we're incentivizing illegals to cross this border every single day. Yep. And yet you who've been working with H2A workers, bringing them in from other countries for forever, they're trying to create a path that you cannot get that done. They're trying to block your path of ever being able to accomplish that. That This makes sense to who? Well, when you find that person, and this makes sense to, would you give me a call? I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> okay, but people just need to know that this is what I'm talking about. When I talk about the local challenges, the Department of Labor continues to audit you. They continue to create a hurdle so that you can't employ people to get the job done. And the job is to take care of, in your case, it's the federally owned land to convert it into the census of life that improves mankind. Oh, and by the way, at the same time, you're improving the land while you do it. And they don't want you doing that. Um, if this makes sense to you, you can hang up and don't call, but lose my number. <laughs> I mean, this that's is, what's happening. Yes, sir. And uh, right back to that chicken, which came first, that chicken or the egg? Well, Go to the produce department and see if you can find the egg. And and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what starts it all. Yeah. I don't know. But everything, whether it be the uh, 
trying to get somebody to go. You know, nobody came here to start out in an entry-level job of being the uh, CEO of Apple Computer. Everybody that's ever come here came here with a struggle. They had to live in the ghetto. They took the stoop labor jobs that the competition for those jobs was minimal because the previous immigration, they'd moved up and moved onward. But getting everybody to work for the government, so you have people sitting around going, ooh, 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 I know what we could do. Why don't we pass a rule that the beds in the bunkhouses have to be 12 inches off the ground? Oh, wouldn't that be great? Well, go to the go to the furniture store and you buy beds for your bunkhouse and they're five inches too short. And these people show up en masse and want to put you out of business because your beds aren't high enough off of the floor and you got X amount of minutes to get it fixed. And then they might take away the fine. Yeah. Well, that's the insanity uh, what was the term? The the insanity of the insane? <laughs> well, I just paid a $25 fine for a late fee for not filing my papers fast enough with the state of Nevada for my campaign donations. Oh. I took no donations, not a penny. Not a penny. <laughs> I spent $600 on signage. And that was it. But it was my 600 bucks. But the state, I didn't, you know, somehow lost the notice. I mean, you can't believe the stack of papers they send you when you file for an office in the state of Nevada that you have to fill out. Uh, yeah, you know, so so the sunshine laws or whatever they are. So, you know, if and you fill all that stuff out and for some reason I had an, I thought I'd sent all that stuff in, but oh no, that was another department. This was the annual filing fee, not the three month filing fee. Oh filing. my goodness. And I didn't send it in and boy, here she comes. So we whipped that out. And then, and then two days ago or last week, I get you owe us 25 bucks for late fee. <laughs> well, I guess that's probably how that little girl makes her living is taking care of that paperwork. And I, I didn't, I didn't spend a penny, didn't get any donation. People say, here's some money. I know. Don't you give me any money. I'll have to, I'll have to fill out papers for three days. If you give me five cents, no, no, leave me alone, please. I either, the people either want me to be their County commissioner or not, but I don't want no money. Forget it. That'll it caused me too much trouble. And you had to fill out <laughs> paperwork anyway. Yep. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting food producers to food consumers and trying to bring awareness to the importance of domestic security for the nation as it involves food and fuel. For Hank Ludwig, Trent Luce, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a roll route. And here today, let's just close out by reminding you that a free and fed America does not come easy, does not come without sacrifice, and it comes with you as a dutiful citizen. Protect the Harvest is working day in and day out to make accessible the information that you need for a free and fed America. But there's a key part of that sentence. You have to accept the challenge. Not only do you get a free email newsletter, 
over the weekend, I had the opportunity to look at the brochure that came with the updates and what is happening with Protect the Harvest. Protect the Harvest is simple. Getting you the information you need to maintain property rights. Because as Hank and I have talked about, at the end of the day, it's all about property rights. Protecttheharvest.com.